I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I mean, he's a, he's a beautiful loser, right? And Chekhov does, and I think we all do, you know, root for the underdog, right? He's really gotten inside of the skin of our worst and darkest, most petty and jealous and, you know, anguishing desire to have more and to be seen as what we really could have been. And so I think it really, there's a hook in everybody about the dreams that they didn't allow themselves or other people didn't allow them to pursue There's a line, a Tennessee Williams line, that always feels like it's as apt or if not more apt for Chekhov plays, which is the plays are about how to go on living after the dream of life is all over. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome to Play Me, the podcast where we turn acclaimed stage plays into captivating audio fiction. In today's episode, we chat with the versatile Lisa Repo-Martel, the brilliant mind behind the adaptation of Anton Chekhov's Uncle Vanya, available on Play Me. Hey, Laura. Hi, Chris. So you had an opportunity to interview Lisa for this episode, and I'm curious, was it a different experience to talk to a writer who's adapted an existing play? Because, of course, we usually talk to playwrights of original works, but in this case, of course, it wasn't possible because Chekhov died in 1904. Yeah, as you know, we usually only record contemporary plays, and we've never done a classic like this. But since it's a recent adaptation, it fell into the category of a new work. But of course, when we talk to writers, we usually ask them about, you know, what inspired them to write the piece or what specific themes were they hoping to explore. So it's it's different when you're talking to somebody about adapting such a well-known play. To be honest, I was a little nervous to talk to Lisa because I don't know as much about Chekhov as I should, considering, you know, both you and I went to theater school. And I, I kind of wrote him off as a bit of a stuffy and out-of-date writer. But I have to say that Lisa's adaptation and Crow's production really showed me how wrong I was. For those of you who don't know much about his work, Anton Chekhov was a Russian playwright and short story writer born in 1860. He was also a doctor and is considered one of the greatest writers of all time. He wrote the classics The Cherry Orchard, Three Sisters, and The Seagull, and is thought to be a key figure in the movement of literary realism. Lisa Repo-Martel is an award-winning stage and screen actor and one of the founding members of Artists for Real Climate Action. She's performed in roles such as B2 Theatre's What a Young Wife Ought to Know and the Stratford Festival's Midsummer Night's Dream. 
and she's appeared in the film Happy Place and on the series The Umbrella Academy. She is working on a new adaptation of Hedda Gabler for Coal Mine Theatre this spring. Lisa and I talked about Chekhov's brilliance in capturing life's absurdity, why she considers the character of Vanya to be a beautiful loser, and why she's had a bit of a crush on this playwright. This is my interview with Lisa Rappel-Martel. So Lisa, I understand that you have quite a long and really interesting experience and relationship with the play Uncle Vanya. You got to play Sonia in Soul Pepper's production in 2001. You adapted it for Crow's Theatre. You assistant directed it with your husband, Chris Abraham. And you even got to briefly step into the role during last year's run. Well, I think that it's just my very good luck to have had such a strong and lasting connection with this play. And with Chekhov, kind of around the same time, 2001 or even earlier, it's actually where I met Chris Abraham, who is the director of this play and my husband. We were doing a production of The Cherry Orchard with Theatre Smith Gilmore, and he was assisting. And I was playing Anya. And I remember, I don't know, just having this real desire to crack Chekhov I don't know where that came from, because I remember initially reading the plays and being utterly bewildered, just like I have no idea why anybody is saying anything to anybody. And so I feel like Smith Gilmore is this wonderful physical theater company, and they are also kind of very funny. And so I feel like it was a good entree into Chekhov's humor. I think Chekhov is a a comic playwright. Yeah. Even though he's got this kind of, he's sort of famous for being super sad. He's also super sad, but a real part of the energy of his plays is the hilarity of heartbreak. So I felt like I did make a little crack in understanding that this is supposed to be funny. You know, I have to say that I think I had an aversion to when I would hear something Chekhov was playing somewhere. I wasn't like, oh, I have to run. And see that maybe it's like a reaction to being in theater school and being, you know, made to read classics and and feeling like I like more contemporary things. But seeing your play, I'm like, wow, I've really been missing out. I felt so much. I got to see it in person. And yeah, I just found it so moving and just like you said, so funny. So what was your resistance, do you think, or what was the nut that you had to crack that you felt it was hard to understand was that production that you just mentioned, the one that sort of shone some light into all the amazing dimensions that Chekhov offers? Well, another, again, part of my great uh, good fortune was in the Uncle Vanya production that you spoke about in 2001. And we also did two remounts of that production. So I've heard this play like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. But the wonderful uh, Hungarian director, Laszlo Marton, was doing that. And so he brought this kind of very physical Eastern European, not kind of British drawing room sensibility to the rehearsal. And so that was another kind of complete kind of revolution in my thinking and assumptions about Chekhov. And so everybody was like sweaty and covered in water and mud and vodka. So it was a really physical, in the room, not language-based 
relationship to it. And I think the reason Chekhov is so difficult to understand is because, probably because it's in translation. So it's so strange and modern and contemporary, actually, its preoccupations. And so you're like, what is happening? Like, it's sort of like... So it's like an episode of Seinfeld, like nothing happens and everything happens. Like the drama that is going on is so like the drama of our lives in a way that is not immediately theatrically apparent or something like that. So it's really hard to be like, oh, is that what you're talking about? Is that what you're exploring? And so I think also Chekhov has more affinity or connection with Beckett than it does with, say, Ibsen. It's not sort of a well-made play in that way. It's kind of about the, like, the absurdity of being alive. So I just think his preoccupations are very specific and hard to penetrate, especially in translation. Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit about that translation in a moment, but I just want to say that when I saw it at Crows, I think it was late 2022, and we were still wearing masks in the theater and COVID was still very much on our minds. And it was such a lovely and immersive production. You felt like you were living in that estate, living in that living room with the characters. So it was wonderfully intimate. And wow, did the lines and the characters and the things that they were grappling with, I just felt that it really resonated throughout the room because yeah, we all have been feeling, no matter what wonderful things or bad things are going on in our lives, we all collectively have been feeling stuck in our lives just by virtue of what's been going on. How much did the pandemic and what we've globally been going through impact the production? I actually think it was a big part of Chris's choosing the play. I felt he felt exactly those things that you're describing, that this, for entirely different historical reasons, these people were at a, yeah, just as you say, a, at a stuck place, at a place also where they're reevaluating all the choices that they've ever made and coming to the conclusion that they made all the wrong ones, which is where a lot of people felt like they were in the pandemic. And this strange pause that gave us all the opportunity to, yeah, to reevaluate. And so that is absolutely the place that all of these characters are in the play. So I think it was just an, a really had uncanny reverberations for an audience. And I thought, well, maybe I'm feeling this because, you know, obviously we're all getting older and we're getting older at a time when we want to be doing things and living our lives. But I brought my teenage daughter and I think she felt the same because her teen years were passing her by. So yeah, it was really interesting to experience that and it's such a just a, a lovely window into this author. And of course, your writing and your lovely adaptation, which has really opened me up to this to this writer. I want to ask you how you go about adapting this classic that was written 125 years ago, it was written in Russian. I think I had heard that you worked with writer-director Polly Pokeyev, who did a literal word-for-word -word translation for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? I read a million different drafts of it, but Polly's version was really the kind of touchstone for me. I think many, many actors have this experience and probably facility like we encounter kind of texts not in the best translations and kind of want to futz around with it and 
you know, put it in paraphrase and stuff like that. So I think it's a very common actor skill, probably. So I think the... Um, because Chris and I already had such a deep conversation about the play. And as we've noted, I've had such a long history with the piece. I feel like I was sort of ahead of the game in some ways because I felt like I really understood what the scenes were about mostly. Although there were some points during the um, translation process where I would write a scene and then Chris would come back and say, actually, I think this is more the thing that's happening. So could you change this or that? And, and we would work that way. But I guess my... I mean, it's pretty simple. My touchstones were to get out of the audience's way of enjoying Chekhov, basically understanding Chekhov. So removing kind of any creaky 19th century, too much exposition, just things like that, and sort of trying to use contemporary language that did not kind of cross a line into anachronism that didn't kind of call attention to itself as modern, but still there's tons of anachronisms really in the adaptation, but tried to sort of muffle the obviousness of those and just have it as recognizable as possible for people to, to really crack open the language in the scene. So it just seemed like people and there wasn't a veil of history or a veil of classical whatever, in between the audience and the story. So that was really extremely pleasant <laughs> to do. Like it, it felt like, and maybe my, sort of my whole life has been leading up to this. So it, it did not seem like a grind. It seemed like a really natural, super fun, interesting, gratifying, satisfying thing to do. So I was really just so pleased that I got the chance to dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going over it this morning and I was really noting the setup of the circumstances and how effortless it was and how, you know, now I've revisited the text a few times. I know what has to be set up and I know as a playwright what you're doing and how easy it would be to fall into being expositional to set all that stuff up. That's Chekhov. That's not me, right? Like, and that is so interesting that you bring that up. That has really been striking all of us. I think that the more and more we work on the play, the deeper our appreciation for the total mastery of the form, which is in exactly that thing. The first act is like filled with wild exposition, like everybody telling you what their relationships are and what the background is. But Chekhov does it in such a way that he sets up these situations where people have to say things like that. So you don't notice that all of these things are being set up as you're commenting on. So yeah, that's Chekhov. That's not me. <laughs> and it's beautifully moving the characters forward, not yes. just, okay, I'm just going to let you know. Totally. The professor moved back and this is where we are. Totally. And yeah, it's just so well yeah. done. I wonder if there was a moment where you knew you found your in to the text. Like you felt like, okay, I think I got this or I, I know where I'm going with this or how I'm going to do this. Was there a moment or a piece of a scene or anything that made you feel in a groove? I would say that it was wonderful knowing who was cast mm. in the play before the adaptation. So um, I bet. So I what had, a cast. Totally what a cast. But I really had Tom Rooney in mind. And so his sense of humor and his wit and his fluency and quickness, I felt really... Um, 
kind of inspired to meet that or could hear his voice and his capacity for long thoughts and tangents and stuff like that. So I feel like that was a great hook in. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, if, uh, it's just a slow and steady, just like constant revision, constant tinkering and tinkering, which was like, and as I say, like super obsessively delightful to do. I loved the lines when Vanya is describing Alexander and he says, he's a fart in the wind, an absolute zero. And I'm like, wow, what an economic way to sum up this character, this deliciously mm-hmm. hilarious curmudgeon, you know, person that in just a few words is summed up. Great. I imagine it would be kind of a daunting but intimate experience to work so closely with the material of another writer from practically a world away, you know, in terms of time, culture, language, history. Um, What was that like to spend so much time with his words translated directly. Again, it feels like he's, I mean, I've always had a crush on Chekhov. (laughs) He's very (laughs) handsome. If you can look him up, you can Google him. (laughs) And he's always just seemed like a, like a contemporary, like another theater person. And so reading his diaries and his letters and all of that, it's just like someone, you know, it's not different. It's not different at all. And I'm sure it is different, but the details of those differences are not something that I really had to grapple with. It's interesting. I'm working on an adaptation of Ibsen's Hedda Gabler right now. And so this opportunity has also opened up that whole world for me, and I, which I'm incredibly grateful for and excited about. But Ibsen feels like a different time in a way that Chekhov does not feel to me. And they're only sort of 20 years apart in their kind of the zenith of their creative work. But one is in the modern era and one is not in the modern era. So yeah, I feel like I'm much more grappling with that problem working on Ibsen and trying to translate what that means to a contemporary audience. And I feel there is more of a veil there. I wonder, because obviously there have been many adaptations and spoofs, you know, Uncle Vanya is probably one of the most famous plays in the world. And a lot of times people will set it in a different time in a different place. But even though your language feels relatable and modern and fresh and not, you know, stuffy in any way, why did you choose to still set it in pre-revolutionary era Russia? Well, I think one of the reasons is that I feel a bit shy about calling myself a writer. I don't really feel like I am a writer. Maybe I'm now I'm a writer. I don't know. <laughs> I like writing things that have already been written by other great writers. <laughs> um, so again, my desire is to facilitate his voice and the play. And so there was just no curiosity, I think either for Chris, but even for myself, there's no curiosity in transposing those things. It, it feels like they can be best observed, even a slight change in what those relationships are and possibilities are, change it too much and make it 
I don't feel like I can understand what he's on about if it's in a contemporary context. But other writers do and do wonderful, interesting things. But that that's not sort of the source of my curiosity about it. And I think it doesn't really matter what era it's in or the fact that it was set in that original era didn't diminish or take away at all. Like we can still imagine what it would be like to live in the countryside anywhere, really, even feeling disconnected and that you don't have as many opportunities. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You say that you're just maybe starting to feel like a writer now, but I wondered if having this opportunity to work so closely with Chekhov has changed you as a writer in any way? Is it informing how you're working with Ibsen or anything else that you might tackle? Well, it's probably given me some kind of confidence that I can do this sort of thing. So that's a really nice feeling. My first experience adapting Chekhov was just a monologue for an audition. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to rewrite the whole thing. And so I'd already had this little taste of like, oh, I can, I can do that. And so I don't know, because I don't, I mean, I'm involved in a group called Artists for Real Climate Action, and we create satirical content, taking aim at, um, you know, the fossil fuel industry and stuff like that. So I am part of a writing room, writing little ridiculous sketches about stuff like that. So I don't feel like it's paving the way for me to encounter a blank page in some really radical way. Uh, but but I do totally feel emboldened to take on Hedda Gabler, for instance. So that's, um, I think that's that's how it's affected me. I'm Laura Mullen speaking to writer Lisa Rappo-Martel. We'll be right back. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I'm, I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk a little bit about the protagonist of Uncle Vanya. Because I just... And I mean, obviously, in this particular production, you have Tom Rooney, who I just can't imagine somebody else in the role. And actually I heard not for obviously for this adaptation, but I just heard that Steve Carell is going to be playing him on Broadway. So yeah, that seems like such a, such a totally different thing, but I imagine it would be amazing to see. But I was just thinking like when you're writing a character or when Chekhov originally wrote this character, you want the audience to root for your characters. But on the surface, he's not that much of a likable guy. He is hasn't sort of lived up to his potential. He's negative. He drinks too much. He's jealous. He's trying to get with his uh, mentors um, and and benefactor's wife. Mm -hmm. What is it, do you think, that makes us still want things to work out for Vanya? I mean, he's he's a beautiful loser, right? And Chekhov does, and I think we all do, you know, root for the underdog, right? He's really gotten inside of the skin of our worst and darkest, most petty and jealous and 
you know, anguishing desire to have more and to be seen as what we really could have been. And so I think it really, there's a hook in everybody about the dreams that they didn't allow themselves or other people didn't allow them to pursue. There's a line, a Tennessee Williams line that always feels like it's as apt or if not more apt for Chekhov plays, which is the plays are about how to go on living after the dream of life is all over. And so I think we all have a little Uncle Vanya in there. <laughs> yeah. I think you hit on it exactly. And I'm just realizing it in the moment. It's because we all think those things, totally. but we're not, we're not allowed to say them. Right. And yeah. that's what, what theater does is, and that's what's so cathartic about it is to hear people say the things that we're thinking. Cause it's like, no, I'm so happy for you. But like, you know, a lot of the times that's not true. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah. And then to contrast that there's Sonia and she just doesn't seem like she's been beaten down by life quite yet. And when, when it becomes obvious before she admits it to uh, Yelena that, that she has this crush on the doctor you feel so much for her, but you just you just have a feeling it's not going to work out the way that she hopes. What did you learn about Sonia, both from the opportunity to play her and to write for her? It's a really lovely spirit to inhabit, but also very painful. That's another kind of gift that Chekhov gives the audience. These secret passions that we've all have and have had in our lives. And so he shines such a beautiful, beautiful light on that event, that process. And it is a crushing, crushing heartbreak that happens uh, to her. And I'm not sure how the audience is receiving that. She does deal with it in a different way than Uncle Vanya. And she is desperately trying to source a strength to continue and to continue to move forward with sort of dignity and purpose in the face of the dream of life being all over. So she's also really doesn't think about herself very much. And so that's also kind of restful kind of place to be. She's trying to take care of other people and she's really practical. And, and she, this, this, one of the things that is another kind of master stroke of Chekhov's kind of catalyzing the events that happen in this play is the, and he does it in other plays as well, but it's the return of the celebrities, sort of like the celebrity couple comes and it it awakens in everybody these buried dreams, right? And so if they hadn't come, if the professor and his wife hadn't come, who knows what would have happened in their lives, but it it makes them all look in the mirror and reflect on, on what they want. And because, unfortunately, Dr. Astrov falls in love with the professor's wife, he's there more often. And so that's another thing that kind of accelerates this this obsession and crush to just excruciating levels for Sonia. So I am playing her right now in Hamilton because Oh, I didn't know you that. You didn't know that. No. Um because uh, I'm the B team. Um 
uh, because Bahia is doing something fancy in New York, her own show, which is the reason I had to step in before, actually, we kind of knew beforehand. So yeah, so I'm just going, putting myself through the ringer up there uh, as Sonia. It's a beautiful, but it's pretty excruciating. Has it changed for you? Like, I mean, I, I imagine that the 20 year gap between initially playing her and playing her now with mm-hmm. a bit more wisdom and years under your belt, has it changed the way you see yeah. her? Yeah, I don't know that I have a I have a ton of perspective on how it was the last time. I think she's probably sort of bolder this time and actually a little more risk-taking in her overtures to Dr. Astrov. So I don't know. I don't know what the difference will be. It'll be interesting to see my dear friend, Kristen Thompson, who played Yelena in the original production, is going to come up and see it. And so I'll be interested to see what she thinks about that. Yeah. I guess it's kind of interesting for her because she is young. And you're right, like if the professor and Yelena didn't come they might have just carried on longer before maybe making some realizations about life, but she's getting this realization. And if the doctor's not going to come as much and he doesn't share her feelings, it's not like, it's not like she can go on Tinder and find somebody else. It's sort of like her possibility of having her own family, her own love is is over because there's but who knows, maybe she would have got together with the doctor if Yelena didn't come. Maybe, maybe. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, it's very sad. <laughs> and so then the doctor, mm-hmm. who is, you know, very dreamy. Very dreamy. <laughs> and I can I can confirm that the actor is just as nice in person. Yes, um, he's a doll. Lovely. I was really struck by his modern take on the environment and conservation and I also knew about your work with Action for Climate Change. So I wondered how uh, modern was Chekhov? How close to the original script was that character and his vegetarianism and love mm. of the land? It's basically all Chekhov. Wow. Like, uh, you know, I put some contemporary tweaks on how he articulates that. But yeah, astonishing. Really, really Things have always been terrible, <laughs> um, but if they were terrible back then, imagine what they what they are right now. I guess the thing that I would say that I have changed most about Doctor Astrov, and this is maybe the the most difference I would say between the original and this adaptation, is to shave down some misogyny. Mm. Um, just kind of like a sexist perspective on Yelena and not because people aren't still sexist or that the agenda wasn't political in taking that out. It was, we want to root for those guys, right? We want to root for that, that romance. And so there was stuff in the original that if you said it today, you'd be like, who would want to be with a doctor? (laughs) Um, so, so that was, those are the kind of interventions that were more dramatic rather than the environmental ones. Interesting. So I've known you as an actor and you've actually performed in a couple of plays that we have on Play Me, uh, What a Young Wife Ought to Know and The Boy in the Moon. And those are incredible productions and your performances are amazing. I hope people will check those out. 
And I just think it must be such an advantage to be an actor when writing dialogue because a playwright is never the one up there, even if they're reading it to themselves at home, they're never the one up there having to speak those lines. So I just wonder what your acting experience, um, how that might have informed your writing. I think that's a great question. And I think that's probably most of it. I feel like, yeah, I've just had 30 years of experience of understanding that the text is not writing. <laughs> the dialogue is just the tip, tip, tip of the iceberg of what else is going on. And it's being used to get what you want, to conceal, to affect other people. And so the drive is not to make nice sentences or to craft anything. It's to mobilize people's action. And so I also, it makes me uh, very loosey-goosey about people changing things. So there are sections where people are paraphrasing. And if I don't feel like it hurts that essential thing, I'm totally fine with it. So I have no real attachment except for how it advances the story and it advances people's drives. The play was so immersive and I'm excited for the audio version because audio drama is in in and of itself immersive because you put your earphones in and listen to the show and feel like the actors are speaking directly to you, that you're not just in the audience of a show, but that you're in the space with the performers. And that very much was accomplished in the live show that I saw. Why was it so important to make it like that? I think you probably could have put in and sold more tickets because it was such a hot ticket to see that show. Why was that staging chosen for this particular piece? I think probably because there is some kind of stuffy classical patina around Chekhov that it was part of the invitation into the the world of the play and for people to feel like they're sitting in those comfy, well-worn sofas and that they've got dirt on their shoes and they're just sort of all breathing the same air. And yes, it was such a magical invocation of that period and just the the kind of cellular experience of being in the same place with the actors. But now we are on a proscenium stage in Theatre Aquarius. And also the production is going to transfer uh, with Bahia to the CAA in Toronto on Young Street. And that's also a proscenium stage. So it's been thrilling and fantastic to do on a proscenium <laughs> stage. And the set works in a totally different way, but seems actually for the actor on stage, almost more private. And because in the round, you really are really very aware of the audience everywhere. And it was so close in Crows. And so there is a kind of, uh, yeah, this feeling of privacy um, and peeking into a world that seems kind of just as special. I felt at that Crows production that I felt that cozy feeling like this is a really nice living room to hang out in. It's so big. And, and, but at the end I was like, Oh God, I I get to leave. I get to leave. (laughs) And they don't. Yeah. Uh, Those characters don't. The end is deliciously ambiguous. It's 
not ambiguous, but we're left with the idea that I think Sonia says that they will have peace, but I'm assuming it's not necessarily in this life. I just wonder, how do you think those characters do after? Do you, because you're left to wonder, you know, and there is such a sadness when, um, when uh, Marina Mm -hmm. says they're gone. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're having like a fantastic guests and they're gone and life is back to Mm -hmm. the way it was. Do you think that they'll get no happiness on this earth, that their their only hope is in the afterlife? Or do you have any optimism for the way their lives work out? There are four main plays of Chekhov's, right? There's the, the seagull and three sisters and Uncle Vanya and the cherry orchard. And both Chris and I have been very influenced by this theater critic called Richard Gilman, who wrote a book called An Opening into Eternity, which is super, super brilliant. Also another big part of how we think about Chekhov and cracking Chekhov open. And he identifies that two of the plays are open endings and two are closed endings. So the three sisters and Uncle Vanya are closed. And I think the offering is that it will continue as it is at the end. Of course, no life happens like that, but, and I think this is a thing that is maybe hard to relate to for a modern audience. Yes, we can imagine being in a rural place, but the mobility that is afforded to us is so totally different than the lives that people were living in, you know, rural 19th century Russia, right? You don't get any agency over your life. And so I do think who knows what spiritual journeys they're both going on and what they come to and what level of acceptance or or bitterness they arrive at. So I I hope that they find, you know, a sense of meaning and purpose and joy in this small square of reality that they are given. But in the cherry orchard, Everybody leaves at the end. Their world is smashed. The orchard is cut down. The estate is sold. And they're kind of out on the open road. You don't think it's going to go very well, but it's going to be different. And the same thing with the seagull in some way. It's going to be different. And in in both the three sisters and Uncle Vanya, it's not going to be different. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this work and for allowing us to record it. It's been such a joy and I've been talking about it ever since I saw it. And I know Chris really loves it as well. And we're really thrilled to be able to launch our season with it. Wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. It's so great to get an opportunity to reflect and just gab about the process. And I hope everybody enjoys it and can sink in. That was Lisa Repel-Martel talking about her adaptation of Uncle Vanya by Anton Chekhov, which is available on Play Me. If you'd like more from Lisa, you can hear her perform in The Boy in the Moon by Emile Scher, adapted from Ian Brown's best-selling memoir. And you can also hear Lisa in What a Young Wife Ought to Know by Hannah Moscovich. And we will return next with a groundbreaking hit show, To Kink in My Hair by Trey Anthony. 
set in a West Indian hair salon in Toronto, the kink in my hair untangles the triumphs and the tragedies of the women who sit in Novelette's salon chair, giving voice to a group of women who tell their unforgettable, moving, and hilarious stories. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can connect with us by emailing playme at cbc.ca. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Play Me through Google or Apple Podcasts. By subscribing, you can listen to all our past shows and you won't miss a single one of our new episodes. And while you're there, we would love it if you would consider rating and reviewing us. It helps spread the word about our podcast, bringing theatre to a whole new audience. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley in partnership with CBC Podcasts. Our associate producer is Brianne Tice. A special thanks to our CBC team. Anna Ashate is our digital producer, and our executive producer is Cecil Fernandez. The director of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani, and the executive director is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information about our plays, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.